gosh, I have a podcast for us. Um, so welcome to another episode of Let's Chat with Shell. Um, we're still on our true crime kick and guys, this one is for the books, literally. So I know that most of us have heard the story of Katie Genovese in different ways that it's been told. Many of us do not know her name, but we know and we have this memory from taking a psychology class or a sociology class and reading about bystander effect and how people can watch a crime happen and nobody does anything because they assume that someone else is going to do something. In her case, was the poster child for all of this psychology and sociology. Um, and I, it was was not until recently that I found out that the story was told wrong to us. And even the psychology and sociology books got it wrong. Um, so here we go. This is the story of Kitty Genovese. So this story takes place in the 1960s. And it's kind of like the antithesis antithesis I can't say the word antithesis (laughs) of antithesis of what we witnessed um with Polly class and how her neighbors stood by and saw a lot of creepy stuff and they never really reported the guy because he looked like them and this story might have unfolded because the perpetrator was actually a different race. I don't know what the motive was, but I know that in the 1960s, racial tensions were high, um, just like they are now, but people were more overt and they were um, less likely to cover their motive or deny them. And they were more likely to take action when they saw a crime being committed Um, by a person of color versus someone who looked like them. So in the early hours of March of 1964, a 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was stabbed outside the apartment um, building from where she lived. This happened in Kew Gardens um, in Queens, in New York City. So the night it happened there was really there was really kind of a lot going on um but neighbors all uh, and the number changes it goes from like 30 to 34 to 31 to 38 witnesses heard her you know uh crying out for help as she was stabbed and the reports that you read in the sociology and um, psychology books, you know, from what I can remember is that they saw this crime happen to this woman in broad daylight and nobody did anything. This actually happened in the early morning hours. So it people were in bed by then. Um, a lot of people in that neighborhood were like families or retired people. So people were definitely in bed when it all happened. But according to those who knew Kitty most, um, they said that she had a date that night 
with a guy from the bar that she worked. She worked as a bartender and she was kind of a social butterfly from what people described her as. And they said something to the effect of, you know, she had a date later on that night and she was, you know, kind of nervous about it, but she went on the date anyway. So, of course, that was her first, the first suspect that police looked at because all of her neighbors say, you know, they give a description of a white man, then some give a description of a black man, then some say they don't know, some say he was dead, something. You know, the descriptions vary because it happened at night and the lighting was poor. And so they start to interview people. They find out she had a date and they go and question the date. So the date reveals something interesting. Um, And I, I really wonder if it had anything to do with the motive of the crime. Her date reveals that he went out with her and another woman and he says that kitty was a lesbian and the only reason she was pretty much he implies that the reason she was going out on a date with him was to throw off people from suspicion because in the 1960s a lot of um, homosexual people were harassed by the new york city police department surprise surprise no nothing surprises me with the NYPD honestly to be honest with you nothing surprises me with them but you know they she hid and covered this fact um because her and her partner who at the time was just known to the neighborhood as her roommate um they lived in a like a small kind of close-knit community and it really excuse me it really threw people off if they knew that there's a homosexual among us you know that's how they felt back then and that mirrors kind of some people's attitudes to lesbians and gays today um, it does mirror their attitudes to homosexuals and, and people who are on the LGTB, LGTB, can I talk today? Who are on the spectrum. And it kind of reflects our views. You know, a lot of, well, not ours, because I'm not with that at all. Um, I feel like it's none of your business, first and foremost about people's who they're in bed with first and foremost that's not any of your business um and secondly it kind of reflects on this nation's attitude to anybody that doesn't fit in this perfect heterosexual cis normative like only caucasian male like rhetoric like if you don't fit this normal conformative you know lifestyle um then we're gonna we're gonna treat you like less than so the police you know they became very hostile towards her her uh her life partner and they were just like tell us what happened 
Now, she had not seen Kitty since she Kitty had left for work that day. So, she came home to all of this. Like, she, she didn't know what was going on until after everything went down. And so, she's not a suspect. And neither are is the man who, you know, said he dropped her off at home. Now, when they heard Katie arguing with the, a man on the street, they heard her yelling and arguing with the man. And they said, neighbors said, it sounded like a domestic dispute, which may have been another reason why they didn't all immediately get involved. Her neighbors, because they, they said that it sounded like a domestic dispute. And this is the 1960s where a lot of times people didn't intervene when there was domestic violence. And this is another, you know, triggering thing that happened in the 60s is that people would not help you if you were in a, an abusive situation because they felt like that's just normal. That's two adults. We need to mind our business. It is, thankfully, I think people have changed a little, but I mean, I remember back in, to, in the early, like probably 20, 2007, 2006-ish, I was awakened from my sleep by my neighbor being just physically abused. And, um... I remember calling the police and another neighbor calling the police and the police came to my apartment because they thought it was me. Now, I was in a domestic violence um, relationship, but it wasn't me. And I told them that it was not me. Like, it was my neighbor. When they went to her apartment, like, my downstairs neighbor said it was me because we really couldn't tell the sounds that had come that were coming out of the apartment where they were coming from it turns out it was the neighbor directly down from me and he was threatening to kill her and they would not find her body and you know what she did she actually like said oh no it's not it's okay nothing's happening um and the police were their hands were tied because they couldn't do anything because there was no complaint from her they arrested him and took him to jail on something like violation of probation or something like that but she never pressed charges and so the cycle continues I guarantee you and what a lot of people refused now they were fighting loud and I mean you can hear hear it and I know my other neighbors were home but nobody called except for me and the person um on the downstairs apartment I was like kitty cornered from us nobody reported except for us two and I guess they figured like oh she's not gonna do anything but what the most disturbing and I gotta tell you I had to fight calling the police because the most but the most disturbing thing that he was saying is that he was gonna kill her and nobody would find her body and I couldn't sleep with that like I couldn't live with that on my conscience so I had to call because I was like, I wouldn't want that to be my sister in that situation. She doesn't have enough sense to leave. But that's just a throwback into what's going on in this case. So a lot of people hear what they think is a domestic disturbance. And they take on this idea that, you know, oh, this is a domestic dispute. 
Um, and so it wasn't until they heard, kept hearing kitty screams that a few people called the police. Um, it wasn't just them, you know, refusing to get involved. A lot of her neighbors, I think it was like three or four, called the police. Now, the ones who didn't call, they did say that they thought that maybe another neighbor would call the police. So, the police are stumped because they don't know um, who is a suspect, who would do this. When they talked to her, her co-workers, a lot of people said that Kitty was well-liked, she was likable, she um, really didn't you know, uh, have any enemies from her job because she was so popular and and likable. So they're looking like, well, you know, we don't have a suspect. And, um, they go on, they listen to the tapes and they talk to the neighbors and they just kind of, they're all kind of stumped um, as to who could do this. And so they, they interviewed the doorman of the, the apartment complex across the, the way. And he said, he first he denied it, that he saw anything. And then lastly, he said he saw something. And um, he was, he said that he had yelled at the, the suspect and the suspect kind of just got away walked away um he yelled at him to stop and the the suspect kind of went away so but he did get the make and model of the car and they all said it was like this white um this white car and you know it looked suspicious that the guy who was driving it was like the whole situation was suspicious so it wasn't until a couple months later when in this very suburban neighborhood, a couple of old white guys see a black guy carrying out a TV from an apartment or from a home in the neighborhood and they stop and question him. Um, and they say stuff like, what are you doing here? So he gives them the stories He's like, don't worry about it. I'm just helping these people move. Well, while he's going back into the house, the suspect is going back in the house to get other, you know, items from the home. The white guys decide, oh, we're going to make sure he can't leave. So that way we can stall him enough to call the police. Um, And so they, you know, they go and mess with his car. And he comes back out. He tries to start it. And he realizes that, you know, the car won't start. So he just starts to walk off from the car. Now, this is a really nice car, especially for the 60s. So police are called and they find out who the car belongs to. And the neighbors kind of tell them the story about what happened. And so they find the car which registered to... And they go ahead and speak with him. And he actually, um, he actually tells them, he starts committing, he started admitting to a lot of crimes and giving the police details and saying, you know, I did this, I did that. So they say that one of the detectives just got, 
you know, got the description of his car, which is also white. And, um, they kind of, you know, they, they get this idea to ask him about the murder of Kitty and he confesses. Um, he confesses to stabbing her multiple times and they said why would you do this in her neighborhood he said because I knew that people wouldn't people don't he said something like people don't call the police at that time of day so that was off-putting because it also spoke to people like oh I can't let this like bother me I can't be bothered to call the police right now but it's important to note that it wasn't like a 911 call like it would be today. It actually, police had a number back then. You had to call the number. So, and this wasn't like, oh, let me just Google it type of days. So it was harder to kind of locate police and emergency numbers. So, and then they had those like rotary dial phones. So even getting to the police was already kind of an inconvenience. And to get out, I mean, a lot of people didn't have a phone in their bedroom. They had a phone for their house. So they would have had to get out of bed. They would have had to, you know, go outside of their comfort zone to get involved with something they assumed, many of them assumed, may have been a domestic violence situation, but there's still no excuse or how if there were over, if there really were over 30 people that heard her getting murdered and heard her screams and saw her, that they didn't get even more involved in her neighborhood. It was actually someone else from another neighborhood, those two old nosy racist men, probably being racist, you know, see this black guy in this neighborhood doesn't look like he's blonde gives us a story that he's moving the stuff that seems suspicious and then they decide to do pull a hijinks that actually led to the capture of Winston Mosley and he was 29 at the time he was from Ozone Park and he worked at a pretty much like at a factory um, so he had a pretty good job. He was married with three kids. He didn't have a criminal record. So he confessed to killing her. He gave them details of her attack and physical evidence at the scene. And he said he just wanted to kill a woman. Um, and he preferred to kill women because they were easier and really didn't fight back. But Kitty gave him the fight of his life. Like she fought him back and there were physical marks on her um on him where when you could see that he did that but he did mention a witness and he said that it was her upstairs neighbor he had opened the door and saw him sexually assaulting her body um but he he had admitted to murdering and sexually assaulting other women and committing like it was like an insane amount of crimes um so this was like a really weird thing that they found out later when they examined him psychologically that he might have been a necrophile or someone who likes 
to commit sexual acts with the with the corpse um and that that's that's really creepy but anyways this guy rightfully gets arrested because he admitted to the crime and it was actually a black man it was not a you know a white person or a person that looked like her so i feel like that may have factored into the reason why people were like hey you don't belong you're sticking out you don't you don't blend in in this neighborhood thus leading to his arrest thus leading to him confessing to the crime so it's it's very interesting because in my opinion and i always think about this because america has really no other option ways to view a lot of this um sometimes race does not really matter because a crime is just going to be committed but a lot of times race factors into the way people treat each other and it factors into the way a crime is viewed with kitty genevieve i really think that the discovery of her being a lesbian kind of put this case like hmm okay they weren't really thinking like hate crime but today that would be viewed like that probably would be the motive of what the reason why he killed her and he claimed Richard Mosley claimed that he was just looking for a woman to kill but I often when I think about this case I think about like maybe there was some like heckling on going on between him and her and she refused the sexual advances um because of hers not just because of him being like a creeper but you know that her sexual preference and so he decided that he was going to take it out on her and this case is horrible in so many ways because this woman's life was taken from her was taken by this person who decided he wanted to kill a woman on that night and it's so it's so sickening because this man was able to do, commit all these other crimes because of the element that people trusted him. You know, when they talk about this case, they say he was a lighter skinned black man. And I think that really when it comes to it, down to it, when I really think about this, when I take race out of it, I think that people start to trust people that have a certain appearance. They have a certain like uh, status as far as financially. Um, they just, they don't really, they're not nosy enough for me. Um, and in this case, the neighbors were nosy, the right amount of nosy. Like they were perfect in the other neighborhood, but Kitty's neighbors, I think there were a lot of social constraints there. I think they were, they were scared that if they were getting involved in something domestically <clears throat> that their barbecues would be a little awkward or you know their picnics because their little neighborhood would have like get together and have these picnics and you know it's a lot of a lot of factors that go into um this case and i hope that the motive was not like a hate crime towards her like i really hope he didn't find out she was a lesbian and didn't decided to kill her based off of that because that is a sick a really really sick thing and i think a lot of these cases have like a motive that we really don't understand and why we i mean like those of us who are operating with a fairly healthy mental um capacity those of us who are 
have our wits about us would not understand but people who are psychologically off the things they do is it makes sense to them like they know exactly why they committed a certain crime and with Richard Mosley it's just like crazy it gets crazier like he said later on that he was just the getaway driver and actually someone else committed the crime and then he later on said that you know people that she had Kitty Genovese had called him the n-word and that's why he killed her and it was just crazy because he actually didn't he didn't die immediately like you would think he would have died then and there um but on june 15th he was sentenced to death for the murder of of kitty genovese and they read the sentence um he didn't really show any emotion he said that he didn't they said that they didn't believe in capital punishment they they said they but with him they would make an exception so he appeared um, in court and he actually was found guilty, thank God, because he deserved to go. If he did this, like, pull the switch. Um, but it's interesting because he didn't actually die until 2016. And so he, it's it's so weird. Like, he did not die until, like, um, until like 2016 and he was 81 and so he died in prison like he served 52 years in prison and it made him one of the longest serving inmates in New York so it's just crazy that he spent that much time before he actually died like he this man lived a full life even though it was behind bars he was able to live a full freaking life after killing this girl i don't know what it is about our criminal justice system that has just takes so long for them to go ahead and like flip that script flip the switch put the needle in their arm or how long it takes for them to to go ahead and like arrest these people and actually convict them and then to like if they're gonna kill them kill them but in his case he lived 52 years in prison and he was 81 when he died that's not it's really not and I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm whining like a kid but it's not fair that he ended her life in her 20s and he ended up living till he was 81. And then, like, you can just... There's, like, a long list of crap he did while he was in prison. And it's just, like, that's that's so unfair. Um, because this man had committed this murder in the 60s. And I wonder, too, if the police had their doubts and their suspicions about if he actually did take place in the murder... Did, uh, take part in the murder but they had a suspect and so they went with it and so I'm thinking that could have been the reason for the delay is that there was not besides his committing the act or his admitting to the act there was not like a lot of evidence but that hasn't mattered in the past like they've killed people they've sentenced people to life for less um with less 
So I don't know what was going on here. I really hope it's not that they just didn't see Kitty as a good victim. Like sometimes police do. If the victim isn't like pretty or young enough or, you know, a good candidate for being like the poster child of a crime. Then a lot of times I feel like police don't put as much effort into finding their killer. And I really hate to blame the police, but because somebody killed her. And I believe it could have been Richard Mosley. But if that's the case, then why didn't they kill him when he committed the crime? Why did they let him rot in that? Well, he didn't even rot in that prison. Why did they let him thrive in that prison for 52 years? It makes no sense. Like, I'm upset for her and for her family. And I I pray that people don't, that their hearts change, that they stop viewing people who are a lesbian or gay or bi or transgender questioning you know I I sincerely hope people stop viewing them as others and start treating them like a human being because no matter what their sexual orientation are is they're still another human and so however you choose to treat other humans really says something about who you are as a person I don't care if you have religious views that are different from them because a lot of that religious views stuff only applies to the LGBTQ plus community it's never directed towards your own actions so i think that even if you do have differing views that victim should have been given the same amount of gusto that you would have given any other victim it shouldn't be like oh let's pick the poster child for this and let's solve the crime solve the crime if it's in your jurisdiction and treat it like it's important so i hope that was not at play but I don't know, guys. This case did not sit well in my spirit. Like, so much stuff came to the surface with this case. And I, oh my gosh, this is sad. It's so sad because when you think about her, she had a life, Kitty Genovese. And she had one with her partner. And she probably would have lived to be an older lady. Who knows? She could have gotten shot the next night and it wouldn't have been that. But it's just the fact that he chose her and he specifically picked out a woman that doesn't sit well with my spirit so anyways guys this that's it that's all for this podcast um yeah let me know what you think